0: this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors. Take a walk and make a podcast.
1: This is Yolando and as always we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching.
0: And we took a sad run, but it was a run. It was sad. It was an old person because it was a run of two people who are deep into middle age who have not been running. So, um, like I'm glad we ran. We completed. It was ugly. Yeah. I mean, we finished. We did. But we we took some. We did the the Juan Galloway method. We did some run walking, and you know, real one runners make fun of the Galloway people. Like, but
1: well, we are not trying to impress anyone. We're I mean,
0: just... I'm I'm sort of trying to impress people. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> if you are not trying to impress people. I am shallow. Anyway, what's astonishing you, friend? What's astonishing me? Well,
1: let's see. You know, we have this great privilege, uh, people like the two of us, of um, having time because of our vocation to read, study the Bible, mm-hmm. um, and you know we are aware that in so many ways, in the church, the Bible is um, misused mm-hmm. and um, uh, oversimplified, mm-hmm. um, but again. We have this great privilege of having gone to seminary, where we've been given tools to study and
0: um, and space. And like space. our communities Absolutely. say do you know we will support you so that you can do this yes. work for us. Mm-hmm. And one of the
1: things that I am aware of, and this is new, this is a, a learning from the folks at the Bible Project, is that the Bible is is a is is Hebrew literature mm-hmm. and, and you're meant to read it. And read it and read it and meditate upon it and think about it over and over again for a lifetime. It this this is not a book, of course, that you read once and say, I got it, and you walk away. That that you really chew on these words and, 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 and these texts again for a lifetime. And this past week is really astonished by something that's very simple, that's been in the text the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was preparing for uh, sermon this past Sunday, and preaching that place in 1 Peter, where Peter's talking about the church, and he says, you are um, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. I've read those words a million times. But for the very first time ever, I saw that these are the same words used to describe Israel in the Old Testament. I know mm. that's probably not revolutionary to anyone else. Mm. To no, I,
0: I'm, I'm, I didn't see that before. That's I, pretty amazing. Yeah, I didn't notice
1: that. And it's like the exact same words in Exodus, Deuteronomy.
0: Those... What? Could that be a coincidence? I,
1: hmm. This is my same sarcastic spirit. voice. <laughs> Obviously,
0: spirit. it's not a coincidence.
1: Well, and of course we do not believe that the church has become Israel. The church has taken over Israel. And so just started to wrestle with, in what sense are we God's chosen? In what sense are we God's special possession? In what Mm -hmm. sense are we um, a priesthood and a holy nation? And what I saw in my studies was this idea of covenant, that Israel was the chosen people only because of God's gracious covenant with them. They were not better than any other people, they were not more numerous, they were not stronger, it wasn't because of their ability or goodness, it's simply because of God's grace that God established this covenant relationship, and that relationship formed an identity of being the chosen people. And I don't do this very often in sermons. Um, (laughs) I try not to use my family as sermon illustrations, but it's just so clear this covenant relationship I have with my wife that has formed my I, I have a unique identity in a world in the world. No one else is Hanley's husband mm-hmm. but me. why? Because of this covenant relationship mm-hmm. called marriage. and um, and I just saw for the first time, oh, now I get what Paul says in Romans about us Gentiles being grafted in to Israel, that we have been brought in to the chosen people through, this covenant with Jesus. Right. And it's very simple, but that was an aha moment for me. And I, I'm just so very grateful for the work of the Spirit to just keep showing, keep making connections, and keep astonishing me with how wonderful the world is word is. And you're right, we, we should not be surprised. Same God, same spirit in the text, but From time to time, you just see these great connections that were there the whole time. Well,
0: and I think part of it is because we read the text with certain presuppositions that we're not even aware of, right? So we don't know how to make sense of Paul's language about being grafted into the nation of Israel because we can't even notice that we think of Israel being chosen because of their worthiness, right? Like, that's just the way we understand. Like, you choose something because it's a better option than all the other choices. When, like, what scripture is so clearly trying to reveal to us is that Israel is chosen because of God's choice, right? Like, that it is not anything that is in them that makes them more loved or more special than any other nation that could have been chosen. It was because they were not exceptional that they were chosen so that people would see that it is God's choice and, and accepting and being claimed by God's choice that transforms us, not who, who we are. And I think as Americans, because you know we really believe in algers and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and the cream will rise to the top and all that kind of stuff that we can't understand that chosenness isn't about us, but it's about God. And we don't, we can't cultivate the essential humility that is required to really understand who we are in God is both like beloved and chosen and special possession and all that stuff because of the quality of God, not because of the quality of us. And I think You know, so like in a way, we can never understand, and we have this cognitive dissonance about, like, well, if Israel was chosen, how, where did the Gentiles come in? And we keep looking for someone to like relax that tension. And so that's why we buy into all kinds of terrible theologies, like, well, Israel forfeited, or God changed their mind, or that was a different God, or here's a new God. But I mean, God's choice was always about recovering all of God's creation. Being the chosen people was always all about that fifth part of the covenant of through you, all nations will be blessed, right? People who are chosen and understand their chosenness are the ones who understand that God chooses all people and that there is ultimately, there are many different ethnicities and unique and distinct peoples, but there is one nation coming together in unity that isn't uniformity. And so like grafting Gentiles into the nation of Israel is supposed to force us to see that it wasn't that as we humans are you know we like to rank ethnicities and say this is better than that is better than that is better than that and God's nation of covenant and chosenness is supposed to like put a thumb in that way of thinking and make us realize no like what is what we prize in ourselves is our openness to what God is doing in us, not, and, and I think, you know, that sort of, um, that marriage of sort of passive and active and vulnerability is just something that we don't, we don't honor in the world. Like we honor and want to believe that some people matter, but most people don't. And so,
1: yeah, I thought I would spend most of my time on the places that said, you know, um, Chosen people, royal priesthood, God's special possession. But what really got my attention was that line that says, we are a holy nation. It goes back to what you just said. God chooses all people in the chosen people in Israel, through Israel. um, Because the Greek word for nations that we translate nations in English is the Greek word ethnos. And so we are a holy ethnicity. So you trace that back to God's promise to Abraham, through you I'm going to bless all peoples on earth. Then in Ephesians 2, where uh, Paul says that Christ has torn down the wall of Mm -hmm. hostility, that that God is creating one new humanity in Christ. Skip over to uh, the book of Revelation where John says, I looked and I saw people from every tribe and language standing before the throne. Uh, Go back to Acts chapter 2 where... Um, the believers filled with the Spirit are speaking various languages, and I just sat with that in the context of the sermon, and was just astonished by the reality that our our little church, our little multi ethnic church, being church together is a big deal. It's small um, in the eyes of the world, insignificant, but our. Worshiping, living out faith together, loving each other, loving our neighborhood together is a foretaste and a sign of what God intends for the whole world.
0: Right, And I think we keep expecting, like we keep looking for God in signs that we recognize and in signs that harmonize with the world as it is so we're like well if anything is good it's going to be big and if anything is good it's going to be powerful and if anything is good it's going to be like honored and respected by the people who are honorable and respectable in the world and like that is just such an unredeemed way of thinking if you let your mind be renewed in Christ if you let the word of God begin to expose some of your presuppositions and if you lean into the things that don't make sense to you and instead of saying like well how can I smooth down the rough edges of God's word so that it conforms to my understanding but like no how can I really allow the Holy Spirit to lead me to that deeply uncomfortable place of questioning you know just my understanding of reality that that's when we become new people. And when we come to scripture looking for confirmation bias, we turn it into an idol. But when we interpret the word of God through the word of God, Jesus, like looking at the life of Jesus and the patterns and outlines of the life and looking at the way that his manifestation and embodiment of goodness was so deeply disruptive in the world, then we know that scripture should be unsettling us and challenging us and disrupting our understanding and making it so that we question things that are unquestionable. And so that's really...
1: So what's astonishing
0: you? Um, well, what is astonishing me? (laughs) Um... I guess two things. I've been, well, one thing for now, I've been thinking a lot lately in general, and especially at this beginning of this Lenten season of just like times in my life when we, when I have allowed the spirit to, or been shoved by the spirit, into a season of real deep uncertainty like being in a place where you are just really um, struggling or, or aware that the thing that is required of you is not a thing that you are capable of doing or you know and I think like when we're when we are young, which you and I are not, but when we are young like sort of, being, you know, stepping into a new thing is not as scary because everything is new. So you just have lots of experiences of like, I didn't know how to do long division and now I do long division. I didn't know how to read and now I read. I didn't know how I was going to make friends in high school and now you know, I didn't know if I was going to ever be able to have, you know, a romantic relationship. Now I do. I didn't know if I was going to be able to drive a car. Now I can't. Like you just, there are a lot of sort of moments, transformative moments in your life when you're young that then you just sort of have this awareness of like, oh, I am a person who can change. And and things that seem like other people do this, but not me, all of a sudden you find yourself like, oh, me, me too. I can do this too. And as we get older, um, we have less of those experiences, right? So like, you know, like you don't know if you can get married and then and then you do you you don't know if you get your first job and then you do you don't know if you are a person who can if you you know go to trade school or college and then and then you do and you just have these um like formative experiences that transform your identity right like now i am a person who you know um, this is part i had this capability all along and as we get older those things grow more and more infrequent and i would say like for the past like 20 years of my life, there have been two major transformative identity moments. Um, the, the first was having children, right? Like you just everyone around you is having kids, and like the actual, you know, pregnant part is great because like it's happening in you, but not of you. And it really doesn't require a whole lot of change. But then you have this baby and they hand you this child to take home, and you're like, this what? is not I mean, right? Like just the enormity of what you are now responsible for mm-hmm. and the enormity of how vulnerable this child is and how dependent on your ignorance and like everyone else just assumes that you can do it and you're like, I just don't know. I don't know if I can, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't know if I can, with especially with your first baby. So like that mm-hmm. moment of You know, I remember like deep into my first pregnancy, I mean, I think I was eight and a half months pregnant before I started thinking about the fact that there was going to be a baby, right? I mean, like I was just very focused on me being pregnant and it wasn't until about eight and a half months in that I was like, how am I going to feed this child? How, what, like, how will I make this child go to sleep? Like, how, like, how am I going to keep this kid alive? Because it just, and like really kind of panicking and not trusting that I'd be able to do that. Um, and so that's a season of like really uncomfortable, but deep transformative spiritual growth because you become something that you weren't before, right? Yes. And then, you know, the second in the last 20 years was going through this church transformation experience where where you and I met and like just having, you know, years of of a season of knowing that, all the ways that I had learned to be a pastor and a Christian were not sufficient. Like they, they could not get me to where we, I, as an individual and as a pastor needed to go. And just knowing that I, like, you know, people were saying like, well, this is what's required or this is what's needed. And just being like, I don't, I, I don't have that. Like, I can't do that. And, and then this very real sense of, you know, I mean, duh, trust God, duh, the Lord will supply your needs, which is like easy to say when you're doing something that you already know how to do, but it's like a whole different level of vulnerability when you're like, no, I'm just not sure that I, like some people can do it, but I'm not sure it's me, right? And as you get older, those moments become harder and harder because you're no longer learning and growing and changing. Like it's just very easy to to start to really believe that like, this is who I am. Am. and
1: failure is a real possibility
0: failure yeah and and it's not something like it's harder to shake off because it's not like you'll get them next time right like and so i just I, i'm thinking about that a lot and i i have had this deep privilege of um leading a bible study on sundays with a, a group of men who live in a um like a recovery house um a, like just a mile or two from the church and it is both something that I, I mean, I don't, it's just reading the word together with people, right? Like I'm not, they have people who talk about the recovery process, like they're, you know, but I'm just opening up scripture with them and just talking about, you know, that, that idea of being, becoming something wholly new. And also, I mean, and on one level, it's total and utter change. And on the other level, what it is, is really, Coming home to yourself, right? Like the, you know, God finishing the work of creation in you, and just like how, how hard it is to believe after you've been living for one way all these years to just even believe that anything different is still possible for you. And you know, there was a um, a man in that room, um, who I mean, he just, he just asks these like really beautiful, powerful questions. and you know, he like at one point he said like, but you don't. like you're not really saying that people's personalities can change. Like that's not really, like your personality can't change. And I'm like, well, I mean, first of all, it doesn't matter what I say. like who am I right? <laughs> but what I believe wholeheartedly, is that scripture is saying we are fundamentally changed by Jesus if we surrender to Jesus. And like when you say, like, can my personality change? I mean, the answer is like yes and no. Like on the one hand, yes, to the extent that you are, that we are caught in like unhealthy and poisonous malforming like patterns and have like festering wounds, like, healing and growth are going to change how we experience ourselves and how we move through the world and in another sense like no because I don't think that we need to change right like I think that in the sense that it's not like you're a piece of garbage now but once Jesus claims you you get like you know a a personality transplant because who you were before was just gross and terrible and now you know like you don't change you actually like what you are now is changed like you become who you were always created to be but i just you know i'm thinking about that a lot both not as a as a preacher like not in a professional sense but just as a human as a person still trying to follow jesus and like and and really feeling like i i'm just wrestling and and trying to do some things that i both feel deeply called to and just not sure like just not sure if I have it in me and and really like looking at Lent as like this can't just be this like tradition that we have like it has to be this point of return every year of remembering like God is always calling us into wildness like into into an uncertainty that drives us closer into our security in Jesus. Like we just have a lot of security in like, well, I'm good at this and I have these relationships and I have this identity. And it's so easy to put our security in those things, even though they are ultimately so vulnerable and outside our control, rather than to allow God to lead us into the next thing that we are not sure we're gonna pull off with an awareness of whether or not it looks like you, quote, succeed at this, or you, quote, fail at this, either way, you grow, right? I mean, your relationship with God and, your, and your, your trust in God, it deepens and it bears fruit, even if it doesn't, you know, no matter what happens, like, it just won't be a waste of time. And so just, like, it's just astonishing to me both, like, I know that, and in some ways, you think after all these years, it ought to be easier to keep taking those steps. And I think it grows even harder because, you know, when you're when you're an adolescent and when you're in your 20s, you're you're supposed to be becoming, and that you know, to to not feel secure is like the name of the game. But when you get into your 30s and 40s and 50s, like, what kind of loser are you if you're still like learn like to go and say like, oh, I'm just discovering who Jesus is? People are like. Okay, should you be our pastor? <laughs> right. Um, but then, well,
1: and when you reach a certain age, there's just more at stake,
0: right? Or and at
1: least it feels like there's it
0: feels like there's more at stake. And but I also just think the alternative is like, okay, so do you want to be a 40 year old who never learns anything again? Mm-hmm. Like, do you know? And so it's just that idea that like we don't prize the kind of vulnerability of new growth and learning and new beginning mm-hmm. because we think that that's like dishonorable, but as a follower of Jesus, we, we always have to be willing to begin again, or else, or else our faith, you know, becomes idolatrous, right? So anyway, I'm, I'm thinking about all of that. And, and uh, that was really theoretical. I mean, the, the, the brutal truth of it is I'm just trying to do this work of beginning to write this book, which is just something that I Is such a cliche and it's just embarrassing to be like, I'm a pastor and I'm going to write a book like every other pastor on the planet. Nobody wants to read your book. Go home. And I also am just like, I really feel called to do this and I've really been running from it and I really am just trying to like both be more honest about it because I think people need to see models of like, I'm trying to do this thing and I might look like a damn fool at the end of it. And there's no shame... And trying to become who God is calling you to be, even if you misunderstand who that is, right? Like but to but to sort of say, like, no, I want to stay here in my comfort zone, in my like false expertise, like that looks safe and honorable in the eyes of the world, but it actually is like stagnation and death. And so um I'm just astonished at feeling like I'm back in that place and really both recognizing it and, ugh, like really not wanting to be there and not having any illusions that like this is going to work out, um, but knowing that it's faithful and fruitful to step into it open-handedly and regardless. So that that's what is astonishing me. That's the inside of my head for you and everyone else who's not listening. <laughs>
1: Well, well, I, I think that's really good stuff, and um, it just reminds me of how easily we um, are led by ego and seek to protect yes. ego. and so if you if you want to shield your ego from um, bruising or feeling vulnerable, then you stay in very safe, comfortable, um, non challenging places. Right, but that is not the call of God. Uh, the call of God will make you vulnerable will make you feel small will make you feel like even though you've been doing something for 20 30 40 years like a novice like you're starring again like you know nothing
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, yeah maybe.
0: and failure is an option and
1: failure is an option and it's, it is not it's not like um, this is a challenging analogy but I'm thinking of the trapeze artist mm-hmm they slip then they know there's a net and in some way we have this net called um right, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus mm-hmm. that's the net but in terms of looking foolish in the eyes of the world there's no net there
0: right and it, nothing will separate us but everything will happen right so it's not that nothing bad or, or dangerous or sacrificial or unjust will happen to I me mean, like the promise is that nothing will happen it's nothing will separate you and i think like we get to a certain point especially as people who identify as christian and lead christian communities where like without even thinking of it our goal becomes not to look stupid right like i don't want to yes. look like a fool and, and, and we
1: can lead the church in such a way that says we we don't want anything to go wrong right? right right you're just trying to manage things keep it in the middle of the road as they say And when you do that, well, you ensure, well, you might ensure that nothing goes wrong, but you also ensure that nothing
0: goes right. 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 And I think like not looking like a fool is unfaithful. Like it, I mean, there is, and I hate this, but like that metaphor of being a fool for Christ, like it's not a metaphor. (laughs) Like it is a season of life where you just do things and people are like, oh, I thought that they were smart, (laughs) but But that, you know, or I thought they had some self-awareness, right? Or I I thought that that was a respectable thing. And just, you know, just knowing that, like, people are going to misunderstand this. And I accept that because I am not here to protect my reputation. I I am here to glorify God And, and really being able to embrace, like, you know and when we were going through the transformation process and really when we were trying to transform worship into worshiping in a way that we did not know how to do and that we did not have the really the people to lead us in it and you just have to be like all right all i can do this week is is really stand up in front of the congregation and be willing to look foolish because i love christ more right and like we just can't always lead out of our expertise and sometimes you just if you're going to get good at something, or if you're going to become something, you don't get to start at expert, right? Like you have to start as a beginner, and not and not be ashamed of that. And um, you don't go from beginner to excellent. You go from beginner to not very good, to okay, to average, to good, to whatever. I mean, you know. So so I think like we don't we don't want that. And so we, we hold back and we don't allow the spirit to really lead us into the unknown, which is why it's such a gift to sit around in a room with people who are in recovery, who have been trying and trying and trying and just like caught in this life of substance abuse and the cycles of it. And like just the nobility and honor of people coming and like the beauty of, you know, saying I I'm going to like I'm I'm standing on the promise that that another life is possible even you know and for me that
1: I need help getting there. Right and like that the I holy Spirit, right. Up, I've given up um a, a, a self my, right. my my self-building project. Right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there is work for me to do indeed but if there is not a power at work beyond me i know that this is impossible and i'm making
0: myself vulnerable so vulnerable to the fact that if the holy spirit doesn't show up and indwell this i'm sunk right i'm so dependent yeah. on the holy spirit and i'm throwing it all out there visibly i mean like it just
1: well and the power for me in in all that is that you're doing you're being vulnerable in the context of a community of people who are also being vulnerable
0: right and i and i think like how different it is you know, because we teach people to hide what's wrong and because we market Jesus as like, come to Jesus and your life gets great. So then when your life is is not great, you you feel like you need to fade away or, or you know, we don't create a space where people can say like, you know, I messed up or I did this thing or that's I, right. you know, and, and we don't, you know, so the kind of spiritual growth that's going on and just the beauty of that gathering around the word in that space is just so different than sometimes when we gather in communities and we're just there to like learn something new or recapture a feeling that we had. Instead of saying like, no, God, you know, because the when we talk about this all the time, like we are all in recovery. Some people have the grace and wisdom to know it, right? Like some people know I'm blind and I need Jesus to give me see. I'm I'm ill and I need soul healing. And some of us are just like, no, I'm I'm good. Mm-hmm. I'm good. And like Jesus, if you could just like come and give me a little help. Get or or just like if you could just get those people out of my way, and then I can you know, but like, you know, to be a part of a Christian community where we center, like we are not yet who we will be, mm-hmm. but what is in us is not of us, and there's no way to get there without waiting on the lord and without walking through every single stage of the journey along the way which means setbacks and to know that like our relationship with jesus is not is transformational not transactional so when we have those setbacks we go well okay this isn't where i wanted to be but but the goal is coming alive in christ so even here maybe even especially here there is fruit for me but if i'm just coming to church because I, coming to church, so not coming to Christ, but coming to church because it's like a good place to hang out and it'll help my kids not have sex before they get married and it will keep my marriage strong. And I will keep, you know, if that's why I'm there, then it's just this transactional thing. And when it doesn't happen, I bounce or when my life falls apart, I don't like, this is not a community. I can't bring that here. And so that, you know, that's the importance and why I just, we need to understand that when there aren't space is in our community for people who are desperate for a different life, then there's not space in our community for Jesus. So, that, that, great. I'm done. What are, are you, you thinking I was about? I about to ask you, what are you uh-uh, thinking about? I, I, just, I just said a lot. <laughs> what are you thinking about?
1: I am thinking about um, this controversy around a Stephen Furtick's son Um most people listening to this pro- uh, podcast probably know Stephen Furtick, who is the pastor of Elevation Church, a mega church based here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And recently, his son, um, who is into um, hip hop music, has released uh, some songs. And Can
0: um, we please clarify for the folks listening at home that Stephen Furtick and his son are white?
1: Oh, yes. Okay. I, I was making that assumption people knew, but thank you for clarifying. And um, so the controversy around the song is that um, it's focused on wealth,
0: violence guns,
1: and sex. Now, I had a pretty strong reaction when I first heard the song, because uh, I just I just think didn't think it was very good. But then I realized that I was listening to someone giving giving a commentary, and they slowed it down so that uh, you could hear the lyrics, and so that messed with the uh, music. And you know, I listened to it again, and it, it's it's not bad musically. It it really isn't bad. Um, people have asked for Stephen Furtick's resignation as pastor of Elevation Church. They have been critical of Stephen and his wife Holly concerning their parenting, calling them bad parents. And, um, I, I, listen, I have great parents. I have fantastic parents. But when I was a teenager in 1980-something, I mean, I did some, let's just say I'm glad that there were not the internet platforms uh, back then for me to, uh, send my foolishness to the rest <laughs> of the world, right? So I'm not critical of their parenting, uh, nor am I joining the crowd calling Furtick uh, false teacher, heretic, whatever. When I listened to the song several times, my takeaway was that it's an indictment against all of us. That this kid, and he is a kid, which is why I'm I'm not naming him. And I'm, I'm not critical of him. But this kid is reflecting our culture, our American culture. Wealth, guns, sex. I, I'm like, oh, yeah, he is us. Now, I would like to think that because he is a pastor's son and... Um, involved in um, the culture of the church, the church would form him in a way that he would have a different emphasis. But it seems to me that the church, big C church in America, needs to come to a place of repentance around these things being in us. I mean, this is us. And I don't... I don't, I, at first I was just very critical of the culture of elevation and um, the, 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 what the Furtick's wealth. I mean, cause this kid is, you know, rapping as if he's, you know, struggling on the streets. He lives in a million dollar mansion, I think multi million dollar mansion. And I think there's some criticism to be spoken there. But overall, I just see this kid reflecting back what we, as a society, have given him.
0: Well, I mean, I do see that. I also think, like, what is sad and just sobering as a parent is just, you know, because to me it's not an issue that he's a pastor's kid. It's an issue that any child baptized and brought up in the context of a Christian community would reflect the world instead of challenge it. And I think like it it's helpful to say, and I and I know nothing about hip-hop um, or popular music in general, let me just be clear. But um, you know, when I read about and listen to you talk about like Kanye West, especially early Kanye West, like college dropout and people who are really advancing the art form of hip-hop culture, like it, it's easy to believe the stereotype that all hip-hop does is glorify wealth, sex and violence and and my understanding is that the the real geniuses in that form are are critiquing, right like are mirroring back and critiquing what what the culture is and telling the truth in a way that is sometimes offensive or provocative but isn't you know is not um, reinforcing those values. And then there's like, people who then are imitating, imitating, who are just not hearing the critique. And so they are just glorifying sex and value and wealth and violence. But like the people who are really the innovators and geniuses in the form are lifting up. This is what the culture is. And this is how destructive it is. Right. And so it's a, so it's a critique and, but you have to have eyes to see and, and ears to hear it. And I think, you know, again, like there are issues of cultural appropriation going on here for sure. Like hip hop culture is now cool. And so you have people in general, but like privileged white kids as well, you know, living in completely monocultural and almost completely monoethnic communities who are then, you know, grabbing this culture and using it, using this music as if it applies to their lives when it, when it doesn't. And you know, you, kids get in trouble all the time because they're like singing along to a song that's full of the n word, and then they're like, "What? Like I'm just using this language, like not not really recognizing it's not yours. It's not yours to use, or it's just the what it, that it's different coming out of your mouth." So i I think for me, what's troubling, and and I say this with a lot of you know trembling because I am a parent, and so it is the the deepest desire of my heart that my children will come to know life in Jesus, right? It is my firm conviction that that is up to God, that that is contingent upon God's grace, and that my relationship with them is not Dependent on how they know Jesus or how they love Jesus. Like, my job is to love them unequivocally, period, and to love them as my real self. And so, my real self and my values are formed, I hope, pray God, like imperfectly, but formed by the kingdom of God. So, what I want is for my kids to look at what the world celebrates, and I want them to be able to see that it's an illusion and a lie. And so, I, you know, I think it's It is important for every parent who really wants more from the church than for their kids not to get, you know, pregnant out of marriage or you want more from the church than for your kid to stay safe so they can get a middle class job. Like if what you really want is for your child to come into relationship with Jesus, then there's just a real deep sense of like humility and vulnerability of like you don't get to control that and that's not me worrying about my child's eternal salvation because i really trust in the baptismal bonds but i'm just saying like i want my child to know salvation and life with god in the land of the living right like i want them to know this the fullness and the goodness that i have found in jesus and to know that like proximity to the institution in and of itself doesn't mean anything or, or very little right and so just sort of i don't have i don't have judgment In my heart, for the Furtick parents, on that sense at all, I question whether or not that song is troubling to the Furticks, because the reality is, you know, their sixteen-year-old son is good at something, is getting a lot of attention for it, and I look at their lifestyle and like, I don't, you know. I don't know. Like they're not, you know, there's a sign in, there's a saying in scripture that like, who are you to judge another man's servant? Like they're not my servants. And I don't, um, it's just not my, my job, but I just, I wonder it specifically because that song was, you know, liked, you know, his, his mother and grandmother publicly, you know, you know, affirmed it. So I don't, I don't know. I can't assume that they see any contradiction in the values of that song and the values of the gospel. I do. And I think it is wonderful when our children grow to bring their whole selves into any kind of, you know, any place in life, whatever kind of creative or, you know, industry or work they want to do. I think it's great. I just want them to go into that work as followers of Jesus who can be salt and light. And I don't see I mean, I just see him, which is what you said. Like, he's just mirroring the culture. He's doing what he sees artists he admires do, which is lift up and celebrate the forces that we idolatrously worship in this culture. And, but I do think, yeah, it's not, um, like, I'm sad. I'm just sad that as a church, we don't know how to tell the truth in love and cast vision for a better way right like we don't know how to do more than say suck our teeth and go you know violence is bad we don't know how to cast vision for the risk-taking hard work of peacemaking right like nobody is rapping a song about what it means to make peace
1: Yeah, we don't see we don't know how to see in ourselves the very thing we are critiquing.
0: Right. And like, let's just be really honest. Like the churches that we celebrate, the Christians that we celebrate, they got money, right? And they use violence, right? Like the reality is we don't have a thing to say about the military complex in this country, right? Because we just think like, yeah, violence is necessary when it, when the good guys do, you know, we don't, we don't talk about that. And you know, when it comes to sex, like, you know, we don't, um, we don't have issues with people. We we do not have a positive theology of healthy sexuality, right? right? So what we have is a negative theology. Lots of don'ts. We have a lot of don'ts. Like we have one branch of the church that just says don't and, and only this kind of relationship is okay. But other kinds of relationships, as long as they're not the really bad kind are okay, too. We'll just wink, wink, nud, nud, like don't ask, don't tell it. And then we have another branch of the body of church that's saying, like, who you are is holy in the eyes of God no matter what. So anything's game as long as it's consensual. And I'm just saying, like, hey, I, I agree that we need to affirm people's identity, but also anything we feel like doing is not good within the context of those identities. But we don't know how to say Hey, here are some expressions of human sexuality that we have not historically been able to recognize as holy, but we, you know, we repent of that, but we want across the spectrum of human sexuality to offer people some, some, to cast some vision and offer some healthy limits about how you live out your human sexuality in a way that honors and glorifies God and doesn't destroy people, right? We, we don't know how to do that. And, or how to even point to it and name it when we see it. So we just sort of are like, well, I don't feel like condemning, so I'm just going to welcome everything, but most, mostly not talk about it. <laughs> or, you know, that that's not helpful because people's expression of their sexuality is killing them. And that's not, you know, heterosexual, homosexual, pansexual, I don't care. When people don't know what to do and like what sex can and can't do, like what emptiness and needs it can and can't fill. When we don't know what to do with this gift, we, you know, we burn ourselves with that fire and, and we're not helping. Like, I think the secular world is doing a a much better job of at least having the conversations and all truth is God's truth. So I think a lot of God's truth is coming out there because we are too afraid to get real and have the questions and do the messy work of like, trying to articulate something and then acknowledging where we got it wrong. And then, you know, we don't want to do any of that. So,
1: Yeah. And as usual, the church gets worked up about sex. Um, and yet um, when it comes to racism, we, we, we don't have the same level of passion. If, if we're talking about sin, then th- there ought to be, um, there's a strong reaction to both. If we're, if we're just simply responding to sin, which uh, there are a lot of critics of the verdicts who are saying they're just responding to sin, and so they are um, very hard, strong critics. Um, but these same voices have very little to say about racism. Well, and
0: I would say just if we look at the church through the lens of the culture war, I would say that the, quote, progressive side of the church does actually respond to racism and sexual sin in the same way, which is like, let's just not talk about it. (laughs) Like, like, let's just say, be good. Don't be bad. It's not really happening here. I'm over it. And then I, but I do think sort of in the so-called conservative end of the spectrum of the church. Yeah. There are certain kinds of sin that we really want to talk about and other kinds of sin. We want to talk about it because we think it doesn't apply to us. And then other kinds of sin that really we can't deny we at least benefit from we can deny that we participate in it but we can't deny that we benefit it from so we're just like oh well that's that's a skin problem right so what
1: are you thinking about
0: oh i don't know haven't i talked enough today i i i think i have (laughs) um yeah i we're good i i'm thinking about all the things we've we've been talking about i'll come back with more to say next week so what what are you preaching Um, so we are moving a second step, this whole Lent, we, our worship theme is, um, into the shadows and we're just talking about allowing God to lead us into the wilderness and Lent and, and the, the metaphor for wilderness is shadows. And we have this really beautiful art installation created by a couple in our church, which I'm so grateful for. And without collaborating, our ministry coordinator created the, um, Media um, images for the same series, and they're and they're the same, so that's a pretty cool thing. So it's like I was you gonna know. say, your
1: media images are nice. Thanks.
0: I didn't have anything to do with them, so that's really nice. <laughs> um, but so we have this art installation that's like tree branches from the grove that have been kind of like lightly dusted with this charcoal, and there, so the, brand, the the trees become the shadow. It's really cool. Um, anyway, and we're using those seven marks of healthy discipleship by Pete Sczaro to sort of say like the The most normal and the common practices of Christianity are just not very deeply transformative, right? And so I do find that Pete Scazzaro's work about naming these seven marks of healthy discipleship are are really helpful um, because it's not that our knowledge about the Bible is wrong. It's that we haven't figured out how to integrate our knowledge into our own personal, real, everyday lives walking around with Jesus. So um, we are looking at um, the second mark of healthy discipleship is embracing God's gift of limits, um, which I just think is so deep and rich. And I I want to look at Jesus when the crowd comes to him and says like, you know, feed us again with the bread of heaven and like stepping away because Jesus... (laughs) says, I, I need to set, you know, I cannot meet this need. I will not meet this need. I could, but I will not. I'm going to go away and be alone with the Lord. And also, you know, there's a limit of what the people can understand. And there's, a, you know, all, all of this stuff. And, and you know, what does it mean for us if Jesus, who is literally God incarnate, is not fighting but embracing limits? Like, how can we recognize limits are not flaws, but are essential features of our creativeness and are ways for us to live within the context of God, on the unlimited power and goodness of God, right? So that, I'm preaching about that. Wow, that's good. That's <laughs> I hope, we hope, we'll see oh. if the spirit, <laughs> if the spirit is gracious. What about you? What are you preaching about?
1: Well, we're in a series um, looking at part of our mission statement, our church mission statement says, joyfully sharing the hope of Jesus through loving, learning, and living out faith. And we've spent a lot of time on the joy, mm-hmm. joyfully sharing in, in how to become a community, a, a congregation uh, of joy, that when people experience us coming to our campus, that, that they experience the, the joy of the Lord. So we spent a lot of time there, and uh, some time with uh, uh, loving, learning, and living out faith, um, and, and that, that that's pretty um, easy to grasp. But what I realized was that we we had not spent much time in that center part of our mission statement around the hope of Jesus that we're sharing the hope of Jesus, and, and I, I've been asking, well, what what exactly is the hope of Jesus, and um, you know, the first response of people is, you know, you you, you get saved and you go to heaven when you die. So, well, is there more? And people can't say much more than that. And mm-hmm. so if we are sharing the hope of Jesus, let's really look at that. And so for the past uh, five weeks, we've been drilling down into, you know, mm-hmm. what does that mean, the hope of Jesus? And so this week, Uh, We're looking at the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and um, I have no idea at this point what I'm going to say about that. I haven't even chosen a text yet, but um, uh, my heart's desire is that once again, like we've been doing for the past five weeks, is that we would look at this particular idea, the, the promise of the Spirit given to believers, and just trace back how that brings us hope in in this season
0: what i think is connected to the conversation we're having earlier with like part of the problem when the church is if we if we move beyond just like our hope is that we get to go to heaven when we die if we move beyond that often what we implicitly preach is well we hope that through jesus we can get the good things As defined by the culture, right? So that's the prosperity gospel, right? Or that that idea that like nothing evil will befall you, right? Like just to say like okay, well here's what I want: I want safety, I want to have it, I want an an abundance, I want joy. Go through the list. And the only and the only way I can conceive of having these things is if I have you know this house, this relationship, this status, this whatever. And so I think like okay, well if I'm gonna get Jesus in the here and now, and Jesus is and I hope for something like I my hope I hope my hopes are formed by the culture of the fallen world, not the revelation of scripture. And so I think what is so beautiful about what you're doing is to say like, no, our hope isn't, I will never get a disease. Our hope isn't, I'm going to be successful at my job. Our hope isn't, my kid is going to be an honor roll student. Our hope isn't that I'm going to, I mean, whatever, whatever, I have a lot of money. Like Those are the only things that the world knows to hope for, but we have a different we have this revelation to say like, no, my hope is that I have hope in the revelation that God is redeeming the world. I have hope in shalom. I have hope that I am part of God's covenant. Like, these are the things that I hope in and for, and they're formed by the word as expressed in Jesus and not, you know, because I get it. Like, if you don't know what to hope for, then you are just going to rap about sex and violence and money because that's the default because that's good like that's what else is good like jesus is good that's what good is so i you know it was really
1: helpful in the series to have a week looking at the cross Mm -hmm. right and so to come back to the idea that the cross is not simply um you know the the place where jesus died to atone for our sins but the cross is also a way of life Mm -hmm. take up your cross and follow me if you would be my disciples the cross way of weakness vulnerability, um, sacrifice.
0: And it's a manifestation of what God does in the world, which is enter into the heart of our depravity and reclaim and transform that so that it becomes a vehicle of hope and reconciliation and mercy and goodness and love, right? So, So the cross is the height of human depravity. Literally, the cross is the place where we killed God. Like it does not there is no stronger way to sever the relationship between God and humanity, right? But God doesn't avoid the cross, that God's goodness is such that, and God's love is such that, God goes to the cross to say, even, and especially here, maybe even only here, can you see my beauty? Can you see goodness? Can you see my love? And you, so, The hope isn't the cross. We can't have hope in the cross because when I look at the war in Ukraine or when I look at, you know, the fatality in the jails in Mecklenburg County last week and say like, that is utter depravity. How, you know, how how can we, how can, how can we bear it? And to say like, well, God in Christ has already entered into the heart of human depravity. And, and we already saw what looked like an insurmountable defeat And what we know through the foolishness of cross is that we're being saved by God's goodness, not by getting out of those things, but even through those things. You have hope in that, but that's not, you know, it takes some time to have your mind renewed in that. And it takes some time to see the cross because we see it through the lens of the world that we don't even realize we're looking through. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. We have to stop talking. Thank you all so much for listening to us. Um, If you want to find out more about what God is doing at Derida Presbyterian Church, you should go to deritapres.org, which is the website. You should come and join them if you're in the area at 1030 on Sunday mornings. You can find out where at the website. You should check out their YouTube channel, and you should check out the Derida Pres podcast on the Podbean website, just all good places to sit under Yolando's teaching. And if you want to know more about what God is doing at God's church, the Grove, you can go to the website, which is thegrovescharlotte.org. You can check out our YouTube channel. You can check out our podcast, the Grove Church Podcast, which is on iTunes or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts, wherever. wherever. And you can come and worship with us um, in person or online in the live stream which is hosted on facebook we worship at 10 o'clock and the dress code is wear clothes and right now still a mask still a mask because our little kids cannot be protected by vaccines so we're gonna just keep making this safe multi-generational space and yeah thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week